Welcome to Converse from the Couch from Lifestance Health, where each episode you'll hear engaging and informative conversations with leading mental health professionals that will help guide you on your journey to leading a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Converse from the Couch from Lifestance Health. I'm Nikki Lianza. And on today's episode, I'll be talking with Leanne Barkman, a clinical social worker and regional clinical director who will help us understand trauma. So welcome, Leanne. Great to have you on. Thank you, Nikki. It's so great to be here. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, well, I've worked in the field of mental health psychiatry for 25 years. Um, I've worked in inpatient, outpatient, emergency, and forensic psychiatric settings, so experienced a little bit of all of it. Um, I'm currently, as you mentioned, the regional clinical director for the Cincinnati offices at LifeStance, and I specialize in the treatment areas of trauma, major mental illness, and substance abuse, and dual diagnosis, of course. So in my free time, I uh, train and compete in martial arts. I run. I love music and photography, and I really love spending time with my friends and family. Great, so. great. Sounds like you're very balanced in what you do for fun. and I try to be. <laughs> okay, for sure. Life is a balancing act. So. That it is. That it is. Well, can we get started with the conversation regarding trauma and you sharing with us some statistics that you've gathered? Sure. Well, you know, it just so happens that trauma is a lot more... Um, common than we think it is. Most people experience at least one traumatic incident in their life. Um, According to the Center for Disease Control, in our childhoods alone, 25% of us grew up with an alcoholic parent, which is not traumatic in and of itself. However, does tend to come with a lot of trauma and trauma incident. So uh, one in eight experienced their mother being abused. One in five Americans have experienced sexual abuse in childhood. Uh, One in four experienced physical abuse by a parent so badly that it left a mark. And Um, one in three couples have engaged in physical violence. Wow. When you really share those statistics, it really does hit a broader population of people that I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who don't even realize like, wow, I experienced trauma and didn't even realize it. Most definitely. And in fact, in practice over the years, I've I've noticed that people don't often even or excuse me, define their own traumas as a trauma. If you say to someone, so have you experienced any trauma? You know, they'll say no. It's have you, you know, ever been in a domestic violence situation? They'll say no. However, during conversation later, during therapy sessions later, they start describing situations that you're like, that is a domestic violence situation. We just don't tag it that way in our own brain. Or we think, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. We minimize it. Or we say, you know, I made it through that. Or, you know, um, we try to avoid it. Or all the things that our brain tries to do with trauma. So it is a lot more common than we think. So how would you define trauma? Simply put, I would define trauma as an emotional response to a distressing event. I think it is important to realize, though, that, and and we can't completely explain this, okay? You know, you can have two people who experience similar traumas or even the same trauma. Mm -hmm. One may walk away and experience symptoms of PTSD later, and the other one may not. 
the other one may not seem very affected by it at all. Um, and of course, there are some risk factors there for people. Um, you know, if, if you have a history of trauma that puts you at greater risk for experiencing symptoms of PTSD, if you have suffer with depression or anxiety or anything like that, um, substance abuse, all, all kinds of things. So you mentioned PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you share with us some symptoms of PTSD and, and how it might be diagnosed? Sure. Well, well, first of all, you know, trauma, PTSD is unlike any other diagnosis in our diagnostic and statistics manual for mental health, right? For psychiatry. So because there has to be the presence of a traumatic event. Yeah. There doesn't, you don't have to have that with bipolar disorder right. or depression or anything like that. But for PTSD, you do. You have to have the presence of at least one traumatic event. Okay. And then that person has to be exposed to a real or perceived threat of death, bodily harm, or sexual violence. That experience can be direct to the person, it can be witnessed, or we can learn that a traumatic event has happened to a loved one. So being repeatedly exposed to the details of trauma is another way that we can develop PTSD, yeah. such as your first responders who may, ex they don't necessarily experience the trauma itself, but they are responding to scenes of traumatic events, or they are constantly taking reports of child abuse or violent situations. It makes me note too that, you know, it's very specifically defined in the DSM, I've worked with some clients who've been traumatized from a breakup of a relationship, traumatized from the point of view that they weren't expecting it, they're utterly mm -hmm. heartbroken and really difficult to navigate through. And so even though I might put to them an idea of like, boy, they're literally traumatized from this, that mm -hmm. does not fit the, diet, the specific definition that we see in the DSM either, but I think sometimes it, it could be beyond that too. Well, so I think it's important to recognize that a person can experience trauma and have an adverse reaction to that. Um, you know, that's more a trauma to the psyche, True. a trauma to our emotions. And okay. it doesn't necessarily have to fit the diagnostic criteria for PTSD. That doesn't mean you're not affected by it. Right. So, right. and, you know, in addition to that, trauma um, and all mental health issues, right, follow that old continuum. So some people may experience it mildly, while other people may experience symptoms severely. Um, and then we have this whole gray area in between. So um, I did not, though, go over the symptoms. So um, let me, let me yeah. jump back to that. So, um, you know, the symptoms for PTSD, anyway, are experiencing um, recurrent, intrusive, or involuntary memories of the event, having distressing dreams or nightmares that are related to the event. And of course, all of this starts after the event, gotcha. right? Um, mm -hmm. Flashbacks or feeling that the event is reoccurring, distress at internal or external cues that are symbolic of the trauma, mm -hmm. avoiding things um, or people that remind us of the trauma, Negative thoughts or mood worsening after the traumatic event. Um, we can also experience irritable, angry outbursts, hypervigilance, um, exaggerated startle response, interruptions in concentration, sleep problems, dissociative symptoms. Yeah, it seems wow. like the, the list of symptomology for trauma or PTSD just 
is is um, a long list. So, um, right. but those are some of the main main symptoms that we use to diagnose PTSD. And so, either if somebody's experienced a trauma or formally diagnosed with PTSD, are there some specific things that you help guide them and, and help them with as you're working with them? That you help guide people to help them. Yeah. What do you uh-huh. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, it's important to realize that when we experience a traumatic event, we experience it with all five of our senses. So one of the things that we often work on in, in therapy is also learning to heal ourselves using those five senses. And so we want to you know, be able to stay in the here and now, especially Mm -hmm. if we're experiencing flashbacks or feeling like we're re-experiencing the trauma. So, I mean, obviously with every illness, we're going to address whatever symptoms that person's having. So so not everyone experiences flashbacks. Um, However, you may not experience flashbacks, but the brain remembers sometimes. We don't necessarily realize it or want it to. Um, You know, an example of that could be, you know, let's say that a person had an attempt on their own life and now it's two years later and they find themselves in the middle of the day, just uncontrollably crying and Hmm. not really understanding why. Sometimes later we're going to recognize, oh my gosh, this is the day two years ago that I tried to hurt myself. And, um, you know, sometimes we may not realize that and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, you know, but if we can realize that, well, and even if we can't actually, we can use those five senses to try and help us stay in the here and now, you know, what is it that I see around me right here and right now? What is it that I hear around me right here and right now? Smell, taste, uh, what I leave out touch. What do I feel? Yeah. Um, And using all of those things, because I mean, I'm going to assume that we're not going through a trauma right at the moment, right? Right. And that we're in a safe spot, Um, which safety is another thing that we have to work on establishing after a person has experienced trauma. Trauma greatly shakes our sense of safety in the world. Mm -hmm. It can shake it emotionally. It can shake it physically. Um, depending on your trauma, I mean, it can shake it financially. Um, there are all different ways that our, our safety can be affected. And so we have to work on reestablishing that safety. That is something that I think is, is usually guided better during a therapy session. Um, and then the therapist can also provide exercises and, you know, a bit of homework for the person to work on developing safety. A lot of times people have actually already started reestablishing safety in their life, but they haven't thought about it. I mean, if I say to you, how do do you have safety in life, Nikki? (laughs) Have you have you really ever thought about that before? No, but I bet you have some. I bet you have quite a bit. You know, you have safe relationships and people who you feel safe with. You mm-hmm. might also have some people that maybe you don't feel completely safe with. And and mm-hmm. by safe, I don't necessarily mean physically not safe. Right. But maybe you say, you know, I don't want to tell my deep, dark secrets to this person. <laughs> so because they're not safe with them. So um, but we have safe people. We have safe places, mm-hmm. hopefully that we can go to or that we can establish for ourselves. And so obviously, you know, if the person doesn't have safety in their life, 
We might work on establishing safety and then recognizing that safety. Well, it sounds like making sure they have safety in their life, helping them ground themselves to their senses, mindfulness with that. Yes. What else do you do in helping them navigate maybe thoughts that might be adding to their traumatic thoughts or thinking? In navigating thoughts, did you say? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that happens when we experience trauma, especially repeated trauma, is that we can develop what are called cognitive distortions. Okay. And that, that basically means we're not thinking about it appropriately right? We're getting mixed messages and maybe our brain is making those messages mixed. Right. So right. I often think about this as, um, when was the last time you went to Coney Island? I've actually never been to Coney Island. Oh, but... you haven't? <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, you've probably been to some amusement park. Okay. So here oh, in Cincinnati, we have Coney Island, right? Oh, yeah. And at Coney Island, they have these four fun mirrors. Okay. And when you walk up to the first one, you know, it, um, you look in the mirror and it makes you look short and wide on the top and long and thin on the bottom, right? right? right. When you go up to the second, it's the opposite of that. You're long and narrow on top. You're short and wide on the bottom. Right. The third one, everybody loves because you are very tall and very thin, but you're like seven feet tall. At least I look seven feet tall in it. And so, and I don't really want to be seven feet tall. So um, five, I'm good at five, seven. So, um, and then the last one, you look very short and wide. Okay. okay. So this is a distorted image of us, okay. right? We know that we don't look that way. And that's why everybody stands there and laughs at them, you know, and we giggle and it makes, you know, it makes for a fun afternoon, you know, but it's a distortion. That's not really what we look like. And we probably wouldn't think it was very funny if we didn't know how we looked. It would be very, right? Because in this mirror, you look this way. And in this mirror, you look this way. And you have four different ways you can look. And, And then obviously, you know, if we take our hands and we move them from our shoulders down to our feet, I don't feel short and wide on the right. top and tall and thin on the bottom. You know, I don't feel the way the mirror makes me look. So um, I can become very confused by that. And mm-hmm. we we get these kind of mixed messages, though, in different ways. Um, you know, sometimes people may think that um, anytime they see a man taking a child to the bathroom that something bad is going to happen uh, because okay. that was connected to their trauma when they were right. a child. So they perceive um, their environment in almost to yes. the eyes of their own trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. Or um, people who have experienced trauma also tend to become very good at um, observing their surroundings and observing how other people are acting. You know, a look can set off the brain to say, oh my gosh, I need to disappear or hide or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And that look may not really mean that at that moment, but it did at some time when a person experienced trauma in the past. And so there again, the brain's getting a message. It's getting a little bit mixed up. Um, Or, you know, we all also have the issue of if a person is repeatedly traumatizing someone else, they may verbally give that person um, incorrect messages. You know, right. um, if a sexual abuse victim is told, this is how I make you feel special. Right. No, right. this is not how we make people feel special. But that is, you know, we're, first of all, maybe we're a child. 
And so children, we believe what adults tell us. So, you know, as adults, it's our responsibility to be good adults in those, in those kids' worlds, right? right? Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. So, you know, we, we sometimes as adults then in treatment or even as kids, depends on when you go to treatment, um, we work on changing those cognitive distortions around to something that is reasonable and rational and true. True is the key. That's the key. Because, you know, and all of this goes back to safety as well, because when you cannot trust how you feel about something, you know, then you don't feel safe making your own decisions about things or, or guiding yourself. I've, when I worked in, um, uh, I I used to work in a forensic treatment program where the, um, qualifications for being in the program were to be involved in the criminal justice system, to have psychiatric and substance use issues and a history of trauma. Right. So every person we had there had a, a significant history of trauma. And a lot of people there would say at one point, you know, I don't trust the decisions that I make based on my history here, you know, and this trauma is playing a lot into that. Right. Mm. And so for a while, until they could learn to make better decisions, they'd say, I just think about what I think I'm supposed to do. And then I do the opposite of that. We go about it however we can. Exactly, exactly. So we can get that brain rewiring, you know, so that it's shooting, those messages are shooting off the appropriate way and no longer distorted. For sure. Which thinks, it makes me think of a book, and I know previous to us recording today, we were chatting a little bit about the book, The Body Keeps the Score by yes. uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Yes. And this, anyone who's experienced trauma or is just really wanting to know more about it, I think that's an excellent resource and book to to read. Most, most a lot of the emphasis is grounding mm-hmm. back to the body and, and things like that. And yeah. you know, it's it's really good. I think for both clinicians and lay people, both. Right. Um, it hits on a lot of um, good research. It yeah. hits on a lot of um, practical um, experience that. Russell Vanderkoek had himself during his, you know, well, he's still treating, but during his early years of treatment and all of the things that he learned. So one of the things that I was really amazed about when um, he was, when I was reading that book was he was talking about when he first started working in the VA Mm -hmm. and um, he had all these veterans in there and he was relatively a new doc, you know, and, um, and in this day and age, we kind of know that we don't really do trauma groups and allow people to process their trauma in those groups because it doesn't, we've learned that it's not good for the other people in the group to be exposed to that trauma. Right. And that that is something better managed in an individual session. But I guess during that time, they weren't quite aware of that. Right. right? And, and so one of the things he talked about was that these veterans would come in and they would be very apathetic and almost void of emotions, Mm -hmm. you know, just very flat. And when they would get together and start talking about some of the things from the military that they had been through, even including some of the trauma, it was like, you could see them come alive. And the only thing that really sparked that was the trauma. And then after that was over, they kind of went 
return to the flat affect in the mm-hmm. void of emotion. And, you know, and, and that's really sad. It's important yeah. information to know, you know, however, I mean, we don't want to go through life void of emotion. We don't mm-hmm. want to go through life that detached from our emotions and our physical body. Right. Oh, I agree a hundred percent, which is why in therapy, what you're showing your clients is how to bring them back into the body. Yes. For sure. Any other takeaways you have for us to help people understand? Well, yes, most definitely. I'm sorry. (laughs) To understand trauma. Yeah. Takeaways? Most definitely. So, um, and and one thing that I did forget to mention was, you know, when, when we experience trauma that we really do become disconnected from our body. So one of the takeaways would be that we really do need to work on reconnecting to our body, be it through yoga, martial arts, running, drawing, music, whatever it is for that person. If you can feel it, yeah, when you do it, you know, um, then it is helping you reconnect to your body. So um, that that would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, my other takeaways would be that we should never minimize someone's trauma. Of course, that we can overcome trauma and that we should, you know, trauma happened to us, but we do not have to be defined by our trauma. That's a big one there. I love that one for sure. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you for sharing your information with us about trauma. And I think many people watching this, listening to us, are going to walk away like, wow, I didn't realize how far-reaching trauma can be. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. 